Act Four of The Princess of Ellis by Moliere, translated by Henri van Loon, eighteen twenty to eighteen ninety six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fourth Interlude, Scene One: Phyllis and Tercis. Come, Tercis, let them go and depict to me your sufferings in the manner you know your eyes have spoken to me for a long time but i should be more glad to hear your voice alas you listen to my sad complaints but o oh, matchless fair one i am not the better for it i make an impression on your ears but not on your heart well well it is something to touch the ear time will produce the rest meanwhile sing me some little ditty that you have made for me scene two moron phyllis tercis oh have i caught you cruel one you slink away from the company to listen to my rival? Yes, I slink away for that reason. I repeat it to you. I find a pleasure in his company. We hearken willingly to lovers when they complain so agreeably as he does. Why do you not sing like him? I should then take a delight in listening to you. If I cannot sing, I can do other things. And when? Be silent. I wish to hear him. Tercis, say what you like. Ah, oh, cruel one. Silence, I say, or I shall get angry. Ye tufted trees and ye enameled meads, that beauty winter stripped you of is restored to you by spring. You resume all your charm. But alas, my soul cannot resume the joy that it has lost. Zounds, why cannot I sing? Oh, stepmotherly nature, why did you not give me the means of singing like any other? Really, Tercis, nothing can be more agreeable, and you bear away the bell from all your rivals. But why can I not sing? Have I not a stomach, a throat, and a tongue, as well as any other man? Yes, yes, come on then. I too will sing and show you that love enables one to do all things. Here is a song I made for you. <laughs> come, sing it then. I shall listen to you for the novelty of the thing. Luck up your courage, moron. There is nothing like boldness. Your extreme severity cruelly wounds my heart. Ah, Phyllis, I am dying. Deign to lend me some assistance. Will you be the stouter for it because you have allowed me to die? Well said, moron. Mm, that is very well. But, moron, I should like very much the glory of having some lover die for me. 
it is an advantage i have not yet enjoyed i find i should love with all my heart a person who would love me sufficiently to kill himself you would love the person that would kill himself for you yes that is the only thing to please you i <sighs> it is done then i will show you that i can kill myself when i have a mind to it oh, how pleasant it is to die for the object one loves moron to tersis it is a pleasure you may have when you like take courage moron quickly die like a generous lover moron to tersis pray mind your own business and let me kill myself as i like come i will shame all lovers to phyllis behold i am not a man who makes many compliments do you see this dagger pray observe how i shall pierce my heart laughing at tersis i am your servant i am not such a fool as i look <laughs> come tersis repeat to me in an echo what you have sung act four argument the princess of Elis, hoping by a stratagem to discover the sentiments of the prince of Ithaca, confides to him that she loves the prince of Messina. Instead of seeming concerned at it, he gives her tit-for-tat, and tells her that he is enamoured of the princess, her relative, and that he will demand her in marriage of the king, her father. At this unexpected news, the princess of Elis loses all firmness, and although she tries to restrain herself before him, Yet as soon as he is gone, she so earnestly entreats her cousin not to listen favourably to this prince, and never to marry him, that she cannot refuse. The princess complains even to Moron, who, having freely told her that it was a sign she loved the prince of Ithaca, is driven from her presence on account of his remark. Scene 1. The Princess, Euryalus, Moron Prince! As hitherto we have shown a conformity of sentiment, and heaven seems to have imbued us both with the same affection for liberty and the same aversion to love, I am glad to open my heart to you, and to entrust you with the secret of a change which will surprise you. I have always looked upon marriage as a frightful thing, and have vowed rather to abandon life than to resolve ever to lose that liberty of which I was so fond. But now, one moment has dispersed all these resolutions. The merit of a certain prince has today become obvious to me. My soul suddenly, as it were by a miracle, has become sensible to that passion which I have always despised. I presently found reasons to authorize this change. I may attribute it to my willingness to satisfy the eager solicitations of a father and the wishes of a whole kingdom. But, to tell you the truth, I dread the judgment you may pass upon me, and would fain know whether or not you will condemn my design of taking a husband. You may make such a choice, madam, that I should certainly approve of it. Whom do you think, in your opinion, I intend to choose? 
If I were in your heart, I could tell you, but as I am not, I do not care to answer you. Guess. Name someone. I am too much afraid of making a mistake. But for whom would you wish that I should declare myself? I know well, to tell you the truth, for whom I could wish it. But before I explain myself, I must know your thoughts. Well, Prince, I will disclose it to you. I am sure you will approve of my choice, and to hold you no longer in suspense, the Prince of Messena is he whose merit has made me love him. Euryalus, aside. Oh, heavens! Princess, aside to Moron. My invention has succeeded, Moron. He is disturbed. Moron, to the princess. Good, madam. To the prince. Take courage, my lord. To the princess. He is hit hard. To the prince. Do not be disheartened. Princess, to Euryalus. Do you not think that I am in the right, and that the prince possesses very great merit? Moron, aside to the prince, recover yourself and answer. How comes it, prince, that you do not say a word and seem thunderstruck? I am so, indeed, and I wonder, madam, that heaven could form two souls so alike in everything as ours, two souls in which are seen the greatest conformity of sentiment which have shown at the same time a resolution to brave the power of love, and which in the same instant have shown an equal facility in losing the character of insensibility. For in short, madam, since your example authorizes me, I shall not scruple to tell you that love this very day has mastered my heart and that one of the princesses, your cousins, the amiable and beautiful Aglanta, has overthrown with a glance all my proud projects. I am overjoyed, madam, that we cannot reproach each other, as we are equally defeated. I do not doubt that, as I praise your choice greatly, you shall also approve mine. This miracle must become apparent to all the world, and we ought not to delay making ourselves both happy. For my part, madam, I solicit your influence, so that I may obtain her I desire." You will not object that I go immediately to ask her hand of the prince, your father. Moron, aside to Euryalus. Ah, worthy heart, ah, brave spirit. Scene two, the princess, Moron. Ah, Moron, I am undone. This unexpected blow absolutely triumphs over all my firmness. It is a surprising blow, it is true. I thought at first that your stratagem had taken effect. Ah, oh, this vexation is enough to drive me mad. Another has the advantage of subduing a heart which I wished to conquer. Scene 3. The Princess, Aglanta, Moron. Princess, I have one thing to beg of you which you absolutely must grant me. The Prince of Ithaca loves you, and designs to ask your hand of the prince, my father. The prince of Ithaca, madam? Yes, he has just now told me so himself, and asked my consent to obtain your hand. But I conjure you to reject this proposal and not lend an ear to what he may say. 
But, madam, if it be true that this prince really loves me, and as you have yourself no design to gain his affections, why will you not suffer? No, Aglanta, I desire it of you. I beg you to gratify me so far, and, as I have not the advantage of subduing his heart, let me have the pleasure of depriving him of the joy of obtaining yours. Madam, I must obey you, but I should think the conquest of such a heart no contemptible victory. No, no, he shall not have the pleasure of braving me entirely. Scene 4. The Princess, Aristomenes, Aglanta, Moron. Madam, at your feet I come to thank love for my happy fate, and to testify to you by my transports, how grateful I am for the surprising goodness with which you deign to favour the most humble of your captives. How? The Prince of Ithaca, madam, just now assured me that, with regard to that celebrated choice which all Greece awaits, your heart had been kind enough to declare itself in my favour. He told you that he had it from my mouth? Yes, madam. He is thoughtless, and you are a little too credulous, Prince, to believe so hastily what he told you. Such news, in my opinion, should have been doubted for some time, and you could have done no more than believe it, if I myself had told it you. Madam, if I have been too ready in persuading myself— Pray, my lord, let us break off this conversation, and, if you will oblige me, let me enjoy a moment's solitude. Scene 5. The Princess, Aglanta, Moron oh, With what strange severity heaven uses me in this adventure! At least, Princess, remember the request I have made to you. I have already told you, madam, that you shall be obeyed. Scene 6. The Princess, Moron But, madam, if he loved you, you would not have him, and yet you will not let him be another's? It is just like the dog in a manger. No, I cannot bear that he should be happy with another. If such a thing is to be, I believe I shall die with vexation. Come, madam, confess all. You would fain have him for yourself, and in all your actions it is easily seen that you rather love this young prince. I? I love him? Oh, heavens, I love him? Have you the insolence to pronounce those words? Out of my sight, impudent man, and never let me see you again. Madam? Be gone, I say, or I shall make you leave in another manner. Moron aside. Upon my word, her heart is no longer free, and... The princess casts a look upon him which sends him away. Scene 7. The princess alone. What unknown emotion do I feel in my heart? What secret uneasiness suddenly disturbs the tranquillity of my soul? Is it not what I have just been told? And do I love this young prince without knowing it? Ah, if it were so, I should be in despair. But it is impossible it should be so, and I plainly perceive that I can never love him. What? I be capable of that baseness? I have seen the whole world at my feet with the utmost insensibility. Respect, homage, submission could never touch my soul, and shall haughtiness and disdain triumph over it? 
I have despised all those who have loved me. And shall I love the only one who despises me? No, no, I know well I do not love him. There is no reason for it. But if this is not love which I now feel, what can it be? And whence comes this poison which runs through all my veins and will not let me rest? Out of my heart, whatever you may be, you enemy who lurk there. Attack me openly, and appear before me as the most frightful monster of all our forests, so that with my darts and javelins I will rid myself of you. End of Act 4